Hi, and welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast, your place for free, expert tennis instruction that can truly help you improve your game. Welcome to episode number 310 of the Essential Tennis Podcast. Special thank you to all of you listening to me who have been waiting patiently since February of this year. We just got back from our trip to Indian Wells. Every year we take a trip out to California, and during the BMP Paribas Open, we do a series of different coaching events. We worked with four private students this year, and we worked with four groups. Each of those was two days uh, each, respectively. And so we've spent a lot of time on the court, much more than we typically do during a four or six week period. And today's episode, I'm going to be talking about the top five lessons that I learned during all that time on the court. And in case you're wondering, I didn't make it to the tournament once. I I literally in six weeks did not set foot on the tournament grounds. And that's because we were on the court so much that anytime we weren't on the court, we were struggling to keep up with just the normal daily day-to-day stuff that we need to take care of that is just a part of keeping essential tennis running. So we were totally head down, focused completely on coaching and definitely came away with a lot of clarity about several different topics. And I'd like to share the top five of those with you today. I'm really looking forward to getting back into the podcast. And really quickly, before we get to our five topics, I want to say thank you to five people. These people left reviews on the iTunes Music Store recently, some of my favorite usernames so far. And those people were Slim Before You Knows It, spelled very strangely. It took me 30 seconds to figure that out. Go Go 69 Seven Ace Zero Seven Bayou Mist and Not Rafa. All of you, thank you so much for your support. I appreciate it. Leaving the review and the feedback really helps other people discover the podcast. So I appreciate it. All right, so let's go ahead and dive in. I'm gonna try to make my way through these relatively quickly because there's a ton to get through here, and I could easily make each of these their own podcast episode. But I want to kind of put them all together, thread them all together, and weave kind of the commonalities from one topic to the next, from one concept to the next, or principle to the next, and I'm looking forward to diving into each. So number one, number one lesson that I learned from Indian Wells, and these are not necessarily in order of importance, by the way, I tried to put these in kind of logical order that everything ties together. Number one, knowledge does not equal execution. This is unbelievably important for you to understand. And if you're on the email list for EssentialTennis.com, then you may have seen an email from me by the same subject that I got a tremendous amount of feedback about. It really resonated with people. In fact, I'm probably going to make this its own podcast episode sometime soon. But the gist of that message was this. Do not fall for the idea that you're getting better at tennis just because you're learning more. And I put under that heading lessons, clinics, watching YouTube videos, reading books, posting and reading on internet forums or on Facebook groups, listening to podcasts. There's unlimited amounts of information. We're going to talk more about this in a second. Just because you can consume that information and you understand it and you you broaden your knowledge and the depth of your understanding about the game of tennis doesn't mean you're getting any better at the game of tennis. 
Knowledge must be trained before it's realized on the tennis court. And a perfect example of this is me. (laughs) I spent the first 10 years of my tennis journey training myself and trying to develop my skills, developing my, my body and my athleticism and my coordination and my quickness and my understanding of patterns and tactics, my stroke mechanics, all of that. Like that was, that was my life basically from age 10 to age 20. That's really all I focused on. And the last 20 years, I have not, I've hardly spent any time at all developing myself. And instead of developing myself as a player, I've been developing myself as a coach, completely different thing. This is part of the reason why it's such a huge mistake to assume that if somebody was a great player, then they're also a great coach. There can be some tremendously beneficial carryover and overlap from one to the other. Of course, it's great to understand having been through the experience of developing yourself as a player, but the skills required to be a great teacher are completely different skills. It's a completely different skill set than the skill set of being an excellent tennis player. Coaching and doing are two completely different things. And so in that same vein, if you're learning and you're taking in information and you're improving your knowledge, it doesn't mean you're getting any better at the game of tennis. You have to go apply. You have to go train. You have to apply what you learn in a very focused, purposeful way on the courts or else your habits don't change. The way you've always done things will be the way you always do things if you don't actually apply what you learn on the courts. And so, This message came up over and over again in our group clinics. By the end of day two, people were just like zombies. They were just zoning out because our coaching process is so dense and so focused and there's hardly any time for people to just have fun. (laughs) Not that we don't have fun in our clinics, we do, but when we're hitting, there's an intention and purpose behind every single repetition. And we cover a tremendous amount of content and concepts and philosophies and patterns and tactics. And so by the end of day two, you can just see people are just kind of staring off into space because we've gone over so much. And so this brings me to number two. The second lesson that I learned from Indian Wells this year, our trip to California, is the overwhelm is real. And very much this was the case at the end of our clinics. But in 2019, especially, knowledge is is infinite. The information itself, all of it is is at your fingertips. Everything you, you could possibly want to know about tennis is out there. And I'm part of I'm part of that. We're, we are making a big effort to provide tremendously valuable and helpful resources. Every day we're publishing more and more and more, and so is everybody else. And so it's impossible to actually consume it all. It's impossible to keep up with it. And so more than ever, you need a focused, purposeful plan of what are you going to do on the courts. And that was our big message to students at the end of our clinics was, listen, you're overwhelmed right now. You have a tremendous amount of information and knowledge that you're going home with. Please don't think that this is the end. In fact, not only is this not the end, like, oh, you're leaving the court as a, as a, way better tennis player and we're all going to high five and celebrate because you're now, you're, you're now, you have ascended to the next level. No, 
It's just the beginning. It's literally the first step. Taking in the knowledge is just the first step. Then the development actually begins. The knowledge is just part one of a marathon of developing yourself for every skill. You have to go through the process of overriding your old habit and developing the new one to make it completely automatic and subconscious. And that takes a process and also takes narrow focus and prioritization. And that's my biggest tip for you here within lesson number two is here's a specific actionable process that I highly recommend you go through. Number one, make a list of everything that's worthwhile for you to change in your game. Everything. And for me personally, that would be a really big list. Uh, now, I'm much more aware of my own game than most players are. I see myself on video every single day, so I know exactly what my flaws are, and I could create a really big, long list for you. If you've never seen yourself on video, I highly recommend you do that. Because what you think you're doing is not what you're actually doing. I promise you. A hundred thousand percent promise you. If you've never seen yourself on video. So watch yourself on video. Find out what you're actually doing. And then make a list of the things that you see need to be improved or developed. And now you need to ask yourself the question. And this is the question we ask ourselves constantly when we're working with our private students. We evaluate them for the first 45 minutes or so. All three coaches were, were kind of huddling around, looking at the iPad, checking out their forehand, their backhand, their volleys, their serve. And we're trying to prioritize. What do we do first? What do we choose? Because we could make a huge list for all of those different strokes. And so the big question we're asking ourselves, and you should ask yourself, is which of those things, when fixed, would positively impact all the other things built on top of it the most. Let me repeat that. Which of the things on this list, when fixed, would positively impact the most other things built on top of it? And so it's an exercise in determining what is the most fundamental, essential element that I could possibly improve right now that when I improve it, there's a whole bunch of other things that are layered and built on top of it that would automatically get better as a result of improving that first thing. And it takes, I'll be honest, a lot of experience to figure out what that thing is and, and be able to determine it, re determine it relatively efficiently and quickly without a bunch of trial and error. And something that we've worked really hard at here at Essential Tennis. But that's what you should be looking for. And that whatever that thing is for your forehand or your serve or your backhand, take that one thing and, and just feverishly focus on it, rapidly just focus on that one thing and just develop that one thing. Might be days, might be weeks, might be months, but work on it until it's almost totally automatic and subconscious, then move on to element number two, so on and so forth. That's how you prioritize and just focus on one thing at a time. Otherwise, you will get overwhelmed. And if you're trying to juggle six balls at once, meaning six different, very worthwhile things that you're trying to improve. But if you're trying to improve them all at the same time, none of them will likely develop into any kind of a better habit because your attention will be spread too thin across too many different things. So lesson number one, knowledge does not equal execution. Le lesson number two, the overwhelm is real and gave you an actionable plan there to avoid it. Lesson number three, weird is normal. And this lesson comes to us courtesy of one of our private students, 
Phil, who's who's probably listening. What's up, Phil? Amazing job on this trip. He came back for his second VIP coaching experience with us. And an element that we were focusing on with him on his forehand, quick story here, that's really, really important, is we were trying to get him to level out his forehand swing a little bit because his his rally balls were very high, very spinny. He was creating a ton of topspin. So there was a huge amount of curve and almost kind of float to his forehand rally ball. And we were trying to train him to level out his swing path a little bit to create more drive. Not that we didn't want him to make topspin, but he was going way off the deep end on the topspin side of the equation. So we spent about 20 minutes. Kevin was, was leading this section of coaching. Kevin was trying to get him to swing totally level and totally straight, just as an experience drill, just to get him to feel a very different swing path. Because Phil came in dropping his racket head really, really aggressively, super, super low, which is why he was creating so much height and so much topspin, much more than what he needed. And so after 20 minutes of Kevin attempting in different ways of explaining it and different types of shadow swings, different field drills to try to get Phil to swing level, Phil would just not swing level. <laughs> and Phil knew this. We, I mean, we were, we were checking out the video on the iPad, you know, every, every 30, 60 seconds or so, and he just couldn't get it. No matter how many different ways Kevin asked him to swing flat, he, he just couldn't swing flat. And this is the nature of habit. This is, this is what happens when we get really grooved into a particular movement pattern. And so finally, Kevin went really extreme. He said, okay, Phil, listen, this is, just listen carefully. You know, I know you're probably getting a little bit frustrated at this point. Like we've been trying to get you to do something. You're just not doing it. And Phil's a great athlete. If you've watched our VIP tutorials on YouTube, maybe you're you may be familiar with that name. Uh, his forehand and his serve lessons have, I think both have over 100,000 views on YouTube. The first time he came and worked with us, he's a great athlete. You know, it's, it's not that he's uncoordinated and he just couldn't get it. It was just a great example of even with good coordination and athleticism, it's just tough to break free of our habits and our, our normal movement patterns. So Kevin said, tell you what, Phil, on this next ball that Megan tosses to you, I don't I don't care. It doesn't matter where the ball goes. It makes no difference what the result is. I want you to swing down at the ball. And so when we look at the video, I want to see your racket moving downwards through the point of contact. The ball will probably not even make it to the net. It's totally fine. Just swing down. And Phil's like, okay, I got it. Swing down. And so Megan tossed him a couple balls. He gave his best effort. He said, oh, okay, I definitely, now I definitely got it. I can definitely feel that my racket is swinging downwards. And that's obviously not what I want to do. Let's check it out. So we looked at the iPad and Kevin and I already knew exactly what happened. We're kind of laughing at each other. And so we bring the iPad over to Phil. We show him the instant replay of the swing he just made that he said, oh, yeah, that was definitely it. And his racket was moving dead level completely straight, totally horizontal, no downward move, movement at all. And so for Phil, the experience of flat, the internal feeling of swinging flat, was such a big departure from his normal swing path that it literally felt like down to him. And he probably would have bet $1,000 that it was down, but in reality, he was swinging flat. And so <laughs> throughout Phil's two days with us on the court, we went through multiple different experiences like that. And it was kind of the running joke the two days. We were saying, 
down is flat. And so to fill down, in air quotes, down was actually flat. There was some other stroke, I don't remember what it was, but up was down. And the kind of phrase that we settled on was weird is normal. So to fill, like that felt totally weird. But guess what? To a player who's used to swinging flat, who's used to hitting very, very lateral through the ball, it's completely normal. It's all relative to what you're used to. <clears throat> and so the big lesson here is that breaking free of habits means doing something totally different than what you're used to. It will not feel normal until it's trained, until you've developed the new thing as a completely subconscious habit, it will not feel normal. In fact, it should feel weird at first when you make a departure from what you're used to to a better habit. The key there is better. Like, is it actually a new and improved movement or is it just different? And that really you only know for sure by checking video. All right, so that's number three. Weird is normal. Number three lesson that I learned from our trip this year to California. Two more. Number four, quality is much more important than quantity. Another lesson here or another story experience from one of our group clinics. Every group clinic, I'm going to let you in on a little secret here. I've been doing this for years and years. Every time I do a group clinic in California, we get eight players. We, we don't ever do any more than eight players. It's a small group. And we have them warm up with short courts. We just tell them to grab a partner, grab some balls, go out and do some short court. And while that's happening, I'm walking around and spending 30 seconds studying every player to see if they're split-stepping or not. I I call this my split-step audit. And I want to know who I'm working with. This tells me so much about the group that we're about to work with. Most of these students are... Are, we've never worked with them before. We've never seen them before. Most of our clinics, we have one or two, maybe three returning students that have worked with us before, and the other five or six or seven are first-timers. And so I want to see what level of intention have these players had about developing their habits and the most important habits. And to me, nothing is more fundamental than the split step, more basic, more universal among high-level players. And yet among low-level players is universally absent. It's just not there. They just, they just don't have it. And they're completely reactive and passive. And so I love seeing when a group, uh, we had, I think, the highest number I've ever seen. It was if I remember correctly, five out of eight in one of our groups I've never seen before, uh, more than half, I was super proud of that group, was already split-stepping. So anyway, we did, I did the split-step audit. We brought everybody together, and I let them know what, what I was just doing without telling them, as being a little sneaky about it. And then we do a demonstration with Kevin and Megan rallying, and we, we show them what a good split-step looks like. We do a little... Uh, demonstration. Uh, I won't go into detail on. Then we demonstrate a practice drill, a little bit, of, a little training exercise, and then we have students go back with the person that they were rallying with, do the training exercise, and do some rallies after the training exercise to start incorporating the split step into their short court rallies. And for a lot of players, it's the first time they've ever actually done it. They've all heard it. Everybody's heard about the split step, but nobody, hardly anybody, is doing it. And so it's fascinating to watch these people who have been taking lessons a lot of times for years and years. And so we had the students come back and, and I asked them, all right, so what was the experience like? Like, you actually did it. And what was, did it throw you off? Uh, did you feel more ready? Was it 
just a bunch of extra work? Did it actually make you feel less balanced? You know, what was your experience like? And one of our students said, and I basically quoting here, I'm paraphrasing, but she said, you know, over the years I've taken $4,000 in private lessons and nobody has ever told me this before. And she, she, talked for probably a minute or two about how like revolutionary it was to her but her the message behind it was i can't believe that i've been receiving coaching for all this time and i don't know how she had a number in her head but apparently she added it up in her head and she couldn't believe that nobody had ever guided her through like people had told her hey you need to split step but nobody had actually taken the time to stop slow things down explain it in a way she understood it, and then provide a series of drills to help her actually experience it and feel it and actually do it for the first time. And so lesson number four, that to me was just a stark like, wow, like number one, like I'm sorry for her. Like I I wish that it wasn't the case. To me, the split step is, is... possibly the most fundamental part of, of tennis. It's like everything starts with the footwork. Everything starts with positioning and preparation. And all of that starts with, it literally, it all starts with the split step. And so to hear that story, like I felt bad for her. I was also very grateful I was able to provide that kind of aha moment. In the first you know, 15 minutes of this two-day clinic, she learned something really priceless that she could go back home and actually work on and actually develop for the first time after spending all this time and money on lessons. And so I just want to throw out the, the concept to you that quantity does not supersede quality. Quality of coaching, depth of coaching, and the depth of the focus in the instruction that you're receiving is critical. There's lots and lots of great coaches out there, but just because somebody is certified and they've been teaching forever at a club that's really well-known and maybe really well-respected doesn't mean that they're on the same page as you. I've talked about this on the podcast before at great in great uh, detail and great depth. And I'm absolutely not making this about like bashing coaches or saying I'm better than other coaches or anything like that. It's just important to understand that there's a wide range, just like any other service provider, just like any other service industry, you're going to have those people who are showing up and punching the time card because it's what they do for a living and it's something that made sense for them to to go get a job in that because it's where their skills lied. It's not necessarily like their big passion in life to help players develop and get out of their comfort zone and actually learn new things even though they have decades old habits. That takes a lot more work than just going through the motion and fe- motions and feeding balls and just doing the same approach volley overhead drill day in and day out, day in and day out. And besides, that's what a lot of players want is approach volley overhead day in, day out, day in, day out. I'm starting to get off into this tangent here, so I, I won't go any further. But if, if you want to hear more about this, I uh, talk about this topic in episode number 266 and also number 275 of the podcast. That's 266 and 275. I talk about what to look for in a great coach and how to find somebody like that. So number four, lesson number four, quality is much more important than quantity when it comes to developing yourself as a player. When it comes to finding the right input, the right coaching, you need to look for somebody who shares your 
passion for mastery of the game, no matter what your level is. This isn't about high performance or amateur versus amateur or anything like that. It has nothing to do with that. It's all about mindset and perspective and their outlook on the game of tennis and really making it much more about the game, uh, much more than just about the game, rather. It's really all about life. And so that's lesson number four. Fifth and final lesson is find your tribe. And this goes hand in hand with number four. Number four is about finding the right coach, the right mentor uh, to spend time with you on the courts. And number five is about finding other peers around your same level or just below your level and just above your level that share your passion for the developmental journey, for that share your passion for trying to master the game. Again, regardless of level, re- level makes absolutely no difference. Cooperative hitting is super rare. Everybody wants to go out onto the courts and just play. They just want to play tennis. They want to play a match. Not to mention doing shadow swings. Doing shadow swings will make you really weird on your local courts, but we're huge advocates of shadow swings and just doing drop hit repetitions, meaning just dropping a ball to yourself and practicing repetitions and and pairing shadow swings with drop and hit repetitions, ball machine work. Ball machine practice is not super uh, rare, but what is rare is using the ball machine in a very specific sequence of events, maybe a couple of shadow swings, maybe a couple of drop hits, and then a few ball machine feeds, and then going over to an iPad and checking out the video of your execution. That's weird. And so what we prescribe, the process that I recommend and that uh, that we're working hard to get out there into the tennis world, there's not many players that have that kind of attention and passion and dedication to trying to master the game and move to the next level and the next level and the next level. But it's critical to find a support system of even just one or two like-minded players to help you on that journey, somebody to commiserate with and to share and 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 celebrate with, share success stories with, and just kind of have your back and be able to empathize and understand where you're coming from as you maybe hit a big plateau or, or a dip in your game. Or again, like really celebrate with as you get bumped up and everybody else is super angry that they got bumped up, but you're super pumped. It's a different kind of mentality. Somebody who listens to this podcast, somebody who follows our YouTube channel or our Facebook page or is in our Facebook group. And that's what I recommend you do. If you don't have somebody local who you can spend time with in person, I highly recommend that at the very least, if you're on Facebook, go to essentialtennis.com slash group. That's essentialtennis.com slash group. And you'll get automatically redirected to our public Facebook group. And you'll just have to ask for uh, for entry into the group. And I think we have like 1,300 or 1,400 players in that group now. And it's an amazing community of super supportive, super positive players who share your same level of passion for developing and improving and it's a great place to ask questions and get feedback. And the coach, I'm in there on a pretty regular basis. The other essential tennis coaches are in there giving feedback, giving coaching and uh, instructions and suggestions and sharing resources. But I think most importantly is you need to find other people, other players with your mindset and with your outlook and your level of intensity and focus for improvement. 
because it just helps the whole thing become much more enjoyable. Unless you're just kind of a loner and you just like doing it yourself, that's totally fine. But I think most people need either a mentor, which we talked about in in lesson number four, or some kind of peer group, which is lesson number five, to really have that support system around you. Uh, another great resource, totally not uh, sponsored, is playyourcourt.com. You can search for local players in your area that are right around your level. You know, people are probably not going to that website filling in their information unless they're pretty serious about their game and their improvement. So I think that's a great resource. Again, that's playyourcourt.com. A good friend of mine, Scott, owns that website. Definitely recommend that resource. So to review, my top five lessons from our Indian Wells trip. Number one, knowledge does not equal execution. You must train new habits. Number two, The overwhelm is real. You must prioritize. Number three, weird is normal. When you do new things, it's going to feel very different, and that's the point. And sometimes you have to really go to extremes to break yourself out of the habits that you're currently in. Number four, quality is much more important than quantity. You need to find a quality mentor. And then number five, find your tribe. Finding peers that can help support you can be extremely important as well. So these are the things that have been on my mind over the last six weeks. I'm going to try really hard to get right back into a weekly schedule now with the podcast. I already have plans for next week's episode. Thank you for your patience. I love you guys. If you're listening to my voice right now, just the fact that you downloaded this file means a lot to me. It shows me people are out there just waiting for these episodes. And I I love this group of players. It's, it's, by far uh, our more, our most supportive group, even though it's not even close to our biggest. Uh, the people who listen to this podcast support us so, um, they're just such hardcore uh, ETers. And so thank you so much for that. I appreciate it. All of us appreciate it. I'm looking forward to speaking to you again next week. For more free game improving instruction, be sure to check out EssentialTennis.com where you'll find hundreds of video audio, and written lessons. Also, be sure to subscribe to Essential Tennis on iTunes and YouTube, where we are the number one resource in the world, providing passionate instruction for passionate tennis players. Thank you so much for listening today. Take care, and good luck with your tennis.